Good morning, everyone. Kelton, I think I forgot to grab the clicker from you. Do you have the clicker? Awesome. Thank you. There's a, wanted to introduce someone to uh, many of you, I'm sure, uh, know him, uh, and he and his wife, Robert, and Lacey Wells. Robert was baptized here just about a week and a half ago. Robert, just wave at everybody. This is, uh, it, was, it was quite a time, um, and we can just, let's, let's give Robert a hand and welcome to the family. Yeah. It's an exciting time, as Robert said. Now is the time. I understand. Uh, I've I've walked through, uh, and, and we I've seen this with him in his life, demonstrating faith and demonstrating a repentance in his life. He said, "I haven't submitted to God in baptism, and now is the time, and and let's let's get this done." And so it's been it's exciting to to see where God's path leads Robert from here out. And it's that change in life that that we go through when we we just can't we can't do it ourselves anymore. And we've got to lean on God and, and allow him to change us and transform us into what, what he wants us to be. Uh, there is, um, I'll share something, another piece of information before we jump in here. But there is, uh, uh, next week, if you've never seen um, a minister preach while sitting down, next week will probably be your opportunity. There's, I've got surgery coming up on an ankle this week, and so probably I'm going to sit next week, which I won't sit here. I'll sit up there, so it'll be easier to see. But that's the plan. So if you come next week, you're like, what on earth is Chris doing sitting there? It's just a minor ankle surgery that's happening, but I'll probably have to sit for a little bit. So that's, that's next week, I guess, the excitement we can look forward to. Um, and I've, there was somebody mentioned, said, make sure that you lay off the painkillers right before you preach, and so that's my plan, because it could be really exciting for all of us, I guess. Anyway. You've seen that, yeah. Yeah, we'll try to avoid that. Hey, do you remember a time in your life where you realized something changed? Everything changed. Uh, some of us uh, that are married here, do you, do you, the first time you saw your spouse or your future spouse, did you believe that your life had changed right then? Some of you, love at first sight. Okay, there's a few. It took me quite a while to realize my life had changed. Sylvie and I were friends for quite a while beforehand. And so sometimes when big life changes happen, we know it. And we, we see it, and there we are. Sometimes there's big life changes that have happened, and it takes us a while to realize the impact of those changes and, and what that means for our life. And what we're going to look at today is we're going to continue on with with some of what we talked about here the last little bit, entering God's kingdom. We spent some time speaking about that. Is that when we enter a covenant with God, just like God has always used covenants throughout Scripture, God asks us to approach Him in faith, repentance, and baptism. And, and that didn't change. You don't see Christian groups saying something different until about the 1500s or so. But God's part that we, we've been talking about here the last weeks is forgiving sins. As God has forgiven our sins, and He wants us to be people that are forgiving of others around us. He wants us to be people that, as He gives us the Holy Spirit, but also people that, when we speak about eternal life, it's not something that is out there somewhere and we're just in a holding pattern waiting for that to happen. But eternal life is something we jump on and we seize and we're excited about from this point forward as eternity starts now and we haven't... We don't, we don't get all the benefits of that until we, we pass and go to be with God or, or Jesus returns, one of the two. But that journey starts right now. And so what we're going to talk about today is talking about what does it mean for that God gives us the Holy Spirit? What is that all about? And so we'll go ahead and, and walk through some of this. 
Now, what does the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit, mean for us? Now, here's a few misunderstandings that I've heard at times. Is now that I have the Holy Spirit, I can speak in tongues, okay? And sometimes the New Testament is, is interpreted in such a way by some groups that that is really the gist of it. In fact, there was, uh, for a class that I took here a while back on Christian worship, one of the assignments that I had was to go and visit some different groups and just watch and just observe. And one of the groups that visited was this small uh, group in Great Falls. And on a Sunday evening, because I was preaching on Sunday mornings, and so I'd visit some of these Sunday evenings and talk, telling the elders that I, this was part of the assignment and such. And so I remember with, with that, uh, we picked up a flyer from this group, and, and they talked about how the plan of salvation was you repent of your sins, you're baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Now, so far, so good, right? And then demonstrate that you have the Spirit by speaking in tongues or different languages. So you're like... Come on, we're so close here. You know, that's, and, and that's, you don't see that, that demand ever given in Scripture. You see some, some people that, that are given the Spirit and they do speak in different languages, but it's very different than what, what we saw you know, when observing that group. And so, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is, is more than that. Um, but oftentimes the answer is something like, I'm not sure what the Holy Spirit is all about, so I'm just not going to, I'm going to talk about something else. You know, that's a whole lot easier. And we've spent uh, Wednesday night, um, family Bible time, talking about the Holy Spirit, and starting in the Old Testament. And so what I'm going to do is give you a very condensed Cliff Notes version of some of the things that we've been walking through. Because I went on a, a journey, a spiritual journey, I guess, a number of years ago, trying to figure out uh, how do I, what, what is the Holy Spirit all about, and what, have, what does it have to do with me? Because I understand from reading through Acts 2, as Jesus, or excuse me, as Peter says, you were baptized and received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I think, what on earth is that all about? And so I went on a spiritual journey trying to understand more of that a number of years ago. And so we're going to talk about some of that this morning. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start way back in the beginning. And usually I don't, put, I don't list the, whole, the words of the Scriptures here. I just list where the Scripture's at so we use our Bibles or our tablets and find it. But here I'm going to walk us through. And so I'm going to have all the Scriptures up behind me. But the Spirit at creation, what we see is in Genesis 1, verse 2, this is the word. Now the Spirit was formless and empty. No, excuse me. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay, so, yeah, the Spirit was not formless and empty. That, that's not at all what I meant to say. But the earth is formless and empty, but the Spirit is hovering over the waters. So even before creation happens here... It's like the Spirit is there is waiting. The Spirit of God is waiting to work and waiting to do something. Okay? There's, uh, we skip forward to, to Exodus. We run into a guy named Bezalel. Now, how many of you are familiar with Bezalel? Not a whole lot of us will be. Now, Bezalel is not one of those heroes of the Scripture that we look at. But look at the Scripture here. See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, bronze, and to cut and set stones to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of crafts. And this is in the context of the tabernacle being built. As the Israelites have come out of Egypt, they're going to build this tabernacle that God has called them to so that they can worship God as he's asked them to. And in the middle of all this, there's this guy named Bezalel. They're told, this guy is a guy that he is going to be the one that, that does all the craftsman work, and he's enabled to do that 
because God has put his spirit on him. And so God has put the spirit on this guy so that he can work with his hands and be a craftsman. Okay. Fast forwarding a few years, we see during the time of Moses, some um, amazing thing happens here. And Moses is is overburdened and he's, he's worked hard because all of these people are under his care and he's trying to do so much himself. And so God just says, look, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. And Moses gets the elders, the 70 of them, and takes them outside of camp there and where Moses would meet with God. And the Spirit of the Lord comes on these 70 elders and they begin to prophesy. Or they begin, that's what prophesying means, is those who speak the words of God. And so they start speaking the message of God, all the elders that are there, and people are amazed at this. And as they come back into the camp, Moses is is walking with his young aide, Joshua, who eventually leads Israel as well. And he's walking back into camp. And there's two individuals that were part of the elders of Israel that were not out with the, um, with the rest of the elders outside of camp. They had stayed in the camp. But God was, was prophesying through them. And they were speaking the words of God. And Joshua, look what happens here. Joshua says, wait a minute here. Moses, tell them to stop. Tell them to stop because they're, they shouldn't be doing that. And Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And so Moses has this dream here. <laughs> thinks, what would it be like if all of God's people had the spirit of God? Because what we see at this point in time, there's some leaders are given the spirit of God. Um, and we'll talk about that more here in a second. But the people of Israel, as we can see, is, is I, as ever I've seen in Scripture, they're not a people that are spirit-filled Okay, and we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here. But Moses' dream is, man, what, what would that look like? <laughs> I wish all of God's people had his spirit. Wouldn't that be something if all of God's people had his spirit? What would that look like? Wouldn't that be amazing? Fast forwarding to uh, King Saul. King Saul was uh, the first king of Israel. And uh, here's what is said to him. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. And so Saul is told that as God's Spirit comes on him, he's going to be transformed and changed into something very, very different. And we see that in the story following this. As Saul does some things that are very powerful for God and he goes out and, and he does some things that are courageous and demonstrates that God has changed him from this shy person who would hide among the luggage to try, try to not be seen because he is an anointed king. And he's, I'm not any part of that. He's a very reluctant servant and he's trying to disappear. And God changes him into someone who's courageous that walks out in front of Israel and leads them to do something powerful. But Saul had a problem. He got a dark side to his character that he did not deal with. And what happens is at one point in time, it says the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. And what happens after that is Saul turns into a cranky, grouchy, mean dude. Instead of being the, the Saul that he had been initially, who, was, who had some, some hesitation to serve God and really relied on God to, to lead him in, into serving God's people and leading God's people, it became, the kingship became his right and his, his demand. And so he was, uh, he was different than everybody else. And because of that, he became cranky when he realized that, wait a minute, God has taken something from me. He tried to kill David a few different times. And just, you read the, the last part of Saul's life, it is just one disaster after the other, after the other, after the other. And, it, and it's hurtful, all of what happens. God's spirit left him. We get to King David. 
We see uh, in, um, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, it says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And David was able to do things that he was not able to do before. Just like Saul had been, God transformed David with his spirit and, and led him into being a courageous man of God. And David has had his times where he wasn't perfect as well. His sin with Bathsheba that, that uh, resulted in a lot of spiritual destruction for his own personal family and for Israel as well. Something that David says in Psalm 51, if you read through that, it's the psalm that he writes when he is discovered and he is repentant because of his sin with Bathsheba. In Psalm 51 he says, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. He saw what happened to Saul when God's spirit was taken away, and that scared him. And so he asked God through this psalm, please don't take your spirit from me. I don't want to turn into this, this person that is uh, without your spirit, that is, that is led by the sinful nature and all this. I don't want that. Please do not take your spirit from me. We continue on, we get into the prophets. And Joel, during the time leading up to Christ, uh, talking about days that would come that would be different Days that would come that would be beautiful and wonderful. In Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, it says, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. You look at that. You remember what Moses said? I wish that all God's people had the spirit of God. What would that look like? Wouldn't that be amazing? And so here what we're seeing is Joel is, is telling the people, someday, someday there's going to be a time where all of God's people have His Spirit and all of God's people speak the words of God and all of God's people are, are different and transformed. And this community of God someday is going to be so amazing. It's going to be wonderful. But that's sometime in the future. But for now, Israel is in a position where sometimes some of their leaders have the Spirit of God that transforms them to be different. But mostly what you see from the history of, of Israel is, is when you look back, I don't get the impression when I look back through the, um, the Old Testament, is a group of people that I look at and point and say, that's what I would like to be a part of. And when we get to Jesus' day, not a lot has changed. The religious leaders of Jesus' day are holding the people in oppression. They, are, um, they are, have a, a corner on righteousness, if we can say that, and have all sorts of great things to say, but are not following it themselves. They are not people that are changed and transformed and spirit-led themselves. But when Jesus comes, we see some things changing here. In, uh, in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, Jesus quotes something from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. You remember I, quote, I, I read a, a scripture here a while back talking about oaks of righteousness? Okay, that's the same scripture. It's the same, same, same message right there. And Jesus says when he comes to his home synagogue where he grew up and he's teaching, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he reads that to the people that he would have watched him grow up and says, he, he claims the Spirit of God is on me. And he says, this is being fulfilled right now. I'm that person. And they don't take that so well. 
But this says something about Jesus. It's what he understands about himself. And you remember when he's baptized, what happens? The Spirit of God comes on Jesus at that point. And Jesus makes a comment in Luke 11. He says, as he's teaching his disciples, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so the people that were hearing this would have understood, wait a minute here, my ears, your ears perked up. This Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit that David had, that Saul had, that, that Moses had, that changed them and transformed them into something else, that Holy Spirit, that is the one that God is willing to give people who ask him? And boy, their ears would have perked up and wondered, what on earth is this about? Because that's not something we've seen before. That's not something we understand. And so when we get to Acts chapter 2, let's go ahead and look at a few of these passages here. We'll start in Acts chapter 1, actually. Acts chapter 1, go ahead and look at verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And Jesus tells the disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the disciples are understanding, wait a minute, this kingdom that Joel talked about, this is coming, it's going to happen here at some point in time. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon us. If you go to Acts chapter 2, look at verse 4. We, as we read through this, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, in verse 4 it says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And it goes through and it talks about all these different languages that the people were speaking. If you skip over to verse 17, you see um, there is Joel chapter 2. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. And he continues on from there. And, he's, and Peter says, what Joel talked about all those years ago, that's happening right here. God is pouring His Spirit out on, on all of us. Skip it down to verse 33. And this is in the middle of Peter's discussion here. He says, Exalted to the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out, on what, poured out what you now see and hear. Saying, look at all this. This promised Holy Spirit was supposed to come. This is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've been dreaming for as a people. And verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And I'm convinced that what would have happened for the people that were listening there today the ones that heard this message from Peter, is they would have heard that phrase and what would have jumped in their minds is, wait a minute here, this Holy Spirit that, that a few of our, our leaders from the past had and, and Joel talks about coming on anybody, all of God's people, that's happening right here and the promise is given for me that I fulfill my part of the covenant, I repent, I'm baptized, my sins are forgiven and I receive the Holy Spirit and so from them, they would have understood that means that I can receive this Holy Spirit that will transform me into someone different. And what, man, what is that going to look like? How amazing is that? And you see that 3,000 people are baptized that day. And the rest of the book of Acts, which you see happening over and over again, is this idea of the community of the Holy Spirit. It is a community that looks so different than everything else in the world. Put yourself in, in uh, Jesus' time for a bit. You've, got, you've grown up in the synagogue. You've grown up seeing these religious leaders. You've grown up maybe trying to think, 
you know, I know that I know that God is there. I know there's been great people of faith. I, I hear the message of God and it touches my heart. And I faithfully go to the temple, I go to the synagogue, and I offer the sacrifices I need. But it just seems like there's something missing because what I see as God reveals himself and God shows himself is so different than what I see in these religious leaders. And I, I see something that, I, I, I see the leaders doing things that are different than what God calls me to be and what God calls them to be. But nevertheless, I guess my job is to continue to be faithful and continue to, to push forward and, and to do whatever, whatever God has, has called me to. And then you hear about this group that uh, there's this Jesus of Nazareth who is raised from the dead. And you hear something about the Holy Spirit that people are talking about them having the Holy Spirit. And so you go back in your mind and think, wait a minute, all the people that I've known in Scripture that have had the Holy Spirit have been people that God has used to do something that's amazing. God has used to, to change the eternity or change at least the, the people around them. And, and they've, they're my heroes from Scripture. And they're the people I look at, they're the people that keep me going, because when I look at my religious leaders, they don't look anything like that. And so you start finding these people. And you see something like in Acts chapter 2. Go ahead and read in verse 42. This is a, there's several descriptions of, of what this community of the Spirit looked like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give as anyone, to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so you are a, a, a young Jewish person and you're looking at going to the temple and these religious leaders acting the way they do and being the way that they are. And then you see this community on the side where people that are in need are being taken care of, where people are excited about studying the, the message of the apostles are bringing through the Holy Spirit. You see, you see the uh, fellowship. You see people eating together, and they seem to like each other, and they're enjoying this. You see prayer happening. You see, all of, you see people being generous, and, and this touches something deep in your heart. And you look at those people and you think, Maybe there is something to this Jesus guy who raised from the dead because they look so different from everything else in my world. And what they're seeing, what you're seeing is the community of the Spirit because people that are Spirit-filled are transformed and changed and look different than the rest of the world. That's what you see from a few of the leaders in Israel in the past and that's what you see from this community in Acts. Let's look at another one. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully worked in all of them. And there was no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, bought money from the sales, brought money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Okay, now this is one's talking specifically uh, a whole lot about the generosity that's happening there. Okay, the, and what's happening, I understand, is the 
the message of God is getting out and it's starting to take off. And you see it when the persecution happens in Jerusalem. People go out from Jerusalem and go out all over the place sharing the message of God. And there's a contribution that is given later to help these people that gave up everything they had at this point in time to get God's message going out. And so they're taken care of later because this, they ended up, ended up in hardship because of the generosity they're given. So God took care of them. It all came around. But you see, this is so different than what the people are seeing from the religious leaders and the world around them. It is so different. And it says more and more people are coming into this, this movement. Let's look at chapter 5. Look at verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. That's a part on the side of the temple. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Boy, you look through those passages there, how different that is from the rest of the, the, rest of the world that those people lived in. No wonder you see more and more people coming into the kingdom of the Spirit or this community of the Holy Spirit. So for all of us, what we'll do here in the next weeks is talk more about what does it mean for me to be a part of the community of the Spirit. But we'll say this for now. I understand from Scripture is that in the Old Testament you have a few people that God's Spirit comes on them and they're changed and transformed. Now the promise we have from God is that we enter the covenant with God. God's Spirit comes in and transforms us to change us into something that is so totally different than what we would be otherwise. It's no other explanation except miraculous. You know, that's, I think it's probably easy for God to part the Red Sea. That was no big deal for him. Apparently, it wasn't that hard to create the world. You know, that, that happened pretty quickly, we see in Scripture. We see God doing all sorts of miraculous things. Raising the dead, boy, that's hard. God's, God's amazing. He does all that stuff. But I believe the greatest miracle that God ever pulled off is taking you and me, who are free will beings created in his image who have at times in our life decided to rebel against him. Sending Jesus and through his sacrifice, sending the Holy Spirit so that we enter a covenant relationship with God. God gives us his Holy Spirit and starts changing us and transforming us to go backwards to look like he wanted us to originally, to look like his son. Now think about that. That's a lot bigger than speaking in tongues, healing the sick, parting the Red Sea, name it, whatever. That's a big deal. And God's Spirit has come into us when we come into his kingdom. And he transforms us and he works it with us to look more and more like him every day. You know, it's no wonder that people who become Christians are able to leave addictions behind. You know, it's no wonder that people who become Christians start to get their lives straight because we get in step with our Creator and all of a sudden we realize that the things, the decisions we've been making and the ways that we've been living in animosity and like the, the religious leaders out there is so different. It, no wonder it doesn't work. And so when we come into God's kingdom and this community of the Spirit, we look around and we're able to see, wait a minute, here's people around me that look different than me and or the way I've been living. And wow, I'm learning something from them. And we start transforming each other. We start looking more like God because we're on this spiritual journey together. And we look more and more like, 
what we see in this community of the Spirit in Acts instead of the world, the religious leaders. And I believe that we could never accomplish that without the Spirit living in us and transforming us continually to look more like Him. Boy, that's good news for all of us. And so for all of us, we have, I believe, this power within us that God has placed in us that continues to lead us more like what, what God wants us to be. The Jews were never able to accomplish a community of the Spirit. They were fighting. There was, there was this animosity continually among them. But when we're living in, and we're in step with the Spirit, then what happens is we transform to look more like God all the time. Now, we're going to spend some time talking about what it means to look like that. We're going to go to um, talk about Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit versus the acts of the sinful nature. We're going to talk about Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, where it talks about what this early community looked like here in the next while. And I know that every time I go through that material, it helps me transform and change to look more like what God wants me to as well. And so here's a question for, that I've asked myself this week, and I'll ask all of you. And we can wrestle through it and, uh, and together. If we are a community of the Spirit, that God is working to transform us to look more like him all the time. And, and that's the, the, the big deal of what a community of the Spirit is, is transformation. We leave that sinful nature behind. We become something much different. Now, if God is, has given us that charge to be people who are filled with the Spirit and a community of the Spirit, am I as a person helping the community here to look more like God, or am I going the opposite? And I think that's something for all of us to think about and to wrestle with. I know that I do. Now, I want my presence to always be something, a presence that brings people closer to God. And that is not only true for me, but hopefully for all of us, is that my presence when I come into the community of God, when I'm being, as I'm interacting with the community of God, that my presence, I find what I can do and the ways that I can bless people. And I maybe it seems like it's so small at some point in time, but I give what I can in order to bless the kingdom of God and make it look just a little more like what God wants it to be. And boy, if all of us do that every day, what can I do in order to bless God's kingdom? Man, God uses us to do things that are amazing, and we look more and more like the community of the Spirit in Acts that we see. Great place to be. And I've seen so much amazing things in the last year that my family's been here. And I've, I continually have learned from you. And, and the great examples of faith, the oaks of righteousness that I see here. And what that is, is us learning to be led by the Spirit and look more like Jesus every day. If you'd like to become a Christian today or you'd like prayers of the church, you're welcome to come forward. There's also people in the back waiting for you if you'd like to pray with them today as well. Let's stand and sing together.